Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. A few things that I would like to share with you. I want to start with racism. I mean, just pure, raw, good old-fashioned, or terrible old-fashioned racism, which has become the centerpiece of the entire Republican campaign. The racist element to the whole Muslim fearing, banning thing, the racist piece to the whole immigrant bashing thing, and now the racist ads that are being run, the racist behavior that's happening. All across the country, we're seeing, well, I'm going to get through all these things, but I think what we have here right now is trickle-down racism. It's coming down from Donald Trump, and it has become... You know, I mean, racism has been acceptable for the Republican Party since the days of Nixon, you know, back in the 60s. But it was always in code, you know, it was always subtle enough that it was hard to, to point at it and say, see, now it's just right up front. It's right out there for you to see this trickle down racism. Over at Huffington Post, here's a running list of racist attacks on candidates of color, and they just, they go through the Gabby Salinas, a Democratic candidate for state Senate in Tennessee's 31st district. She's an immigrant and a woman of color. So with the Republican running against her, his ads say, he's from here. He's one of us. And it shows a picture of him and this nice white boy and his nice white blonde wife and their nice blonde dog. <laughs> Honest to God. Sri uh, Preston Kulnari, a Democratic candidate for Texas's 22nd. Again, a person of... Indian ancestry, but, of, you know, an American, right? But the Republican, Pete Olson, I wonder if this uh, liberal Indo-American is a carpetbagger and his money's coming from overseas. I'm not going to go through the whole list. It's, it would take a half hour. There's this long list of just explicitly, overtly, clearly racist ads running all across the country, all of them being run by Republican candidates against Democrats. Meanwhile, in Georgia right now, Gwinnett County is a small piece of Georgia. I lived in Georgia for 13 years. Louise and I, you know, lived there. We raised our kids there. Gwinnett County accounts for 12% of Georgia's mail-in ballots. It is the most diverse county in the state. 
and it is now responsible for 40% so far of all the rejections of mail-in ballots because when you send in a mail-in ballot, you have to put your signature on it. And if the signature doesn't exactly match your signature in the voter rolls, maybe it's missing a period, maybe you forgot to spell out your middle name, or maybe on the voter rolls, it doesn't have your middle name, or maybe it's just the first letter of your middle name, with or without a period, whatever. 40% of the spoiled ballots in the state are coming out of this one county. And there's no procedure to fix this. There's no appealing it. From this piece over at Slate.com by uh, Mark Joseph Stern. In states with stringent mismatch rules, a handful of election officials are frequently responsible for the vast majority of ballots voided for mismatch. And these officials routinely work in counties with large minority communities. Bingo. So what do we have here? Racism. I mean, just, just stark, naked, pure racism. Antonia Nori Farzan is uh, asking the question, are we going too cute with this stuff? Where this young man, Mark Peoples, he lives in Detroit, and there was a vacant lot across the street from his house, and he turned it into a garden for the community. But there's some white people, three white women who live in the neighborhood, but one of them, Deborah Nash, has called the police on him dozens of times for gardening while black. And a Michigan judge yesterday tossed out, she actually filed charges against him for stalking her because he was gardening while black. And the judge not only tossed out the charges, but said that Deborah Nash, the woman who called the police on Mr. Peoples, on Mark Peoples, that she should face the same charges. Now, it's going to be up to Peoples to see if he's going to call this on her. And then, you know, at the same time, we get these just absolutely obscene ads. There is this ad plane right now where it's like they're asking the question golf cart gale permit patty barbecue becky this all started with barbecue becky you know becky kind of a you know the clueless white girl right barbecue becky cornerstone caroline are these names too cute these people are racists and if the names are too cute then what should we be calling these largely white women who are calling police on mostly, uh, well, sometimes African-American women, sometimes African, in some cases, kids. You know, do you have a permit for that lemonade stand? That was permit patty. But this is the key to the Republicans' electoral strategy. I mean, this is Stephen Miller on steroids, right? Stephen Miller's third grade teacher calls him a strange dude who ate glue, Nikki Fisk. She taught him 25 years ago. She says, you remember that character in Peanuts, the one called Pigpen with a dust cloud? flying around him. That was Stephen Miller at age eight. I was always trying to get him to clean up his desk. He always had stuff mashed in there. He was a strange dude. I remember he'd take a bottle of glue and he would pour the glue on his arm, let it dry, peel it off, and then eat it. She said he had such strange personal habits that he was isolated and off by himself all the time. This is the guy, you know, along with the rest of Trump, who's like driving this whole thing. You got the ad, Nate? Okay, here it is. Let's hear this. What do you think about what's happening in Washington? Our congressman, French Hill, and the Republicans know that it's dangerous to change the presumption of innocence to a presumption of guilt, especially for black men. If the Democrats can do that to a white justice of the Supreme Court with no evidence, no corroboration, and all of her witnesses, including her best friend, say it didn't happen, what will happen to our husbands, our fathers, or our sons when a white girl lies on them? Girl, white Democrats will be lynching black folk again. Honey, I've always told my son, don't be messing around with that. 
If you get caught, she will cry rape. I'm voting to keep Congressman French Hill and the Republicans because we have to protect our men and boys. We can't afford to let white Democrats take us back to bad old days of race verdicts, life sentences, and lynchings when a white girl screams rape. Paid for by black Americans for the president's agenda. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's is this, committee. Isn't this strange? I don't even know where to begin with that. I mean, you know, it's a Brett Kavanaugh grievance ad that's been turned into a racial issue accusing white Democrats of wanting to put black men in jail or lynch them. Voiced by what sounds like a couple of black women. I'm sure, you know, professional actors who got paid to say it. But still, what do we do with this? So anyhow, there's a lot going on. I, yeah, I have a few other stories that I wanted to rant about, but I think that trickle-down racism is going to do one of two things to this country, and, and maybe both simultaneously. It's going to destroy us. It's going to tear us apart. And it's also going to wake up a lot of people to how evil and cynical and sinister this Republican strategy actually is. Heidi Cruz, meanwhile, Ted Cruz's wife, is telling The Atlantic, you know, life is tough. She only makes a half a million dollars a year at Goldman Sachs, plus bonuses. And her husband only makes $174,000 a year as a United States Senator, Ted Cruz. So she says, we're not going to be buying a second home anytime soon. Isn't that sad? The Cruises can't afford a second home. Had an annual income of you know, three quarters of a million, more or less, half a million, something like that. It's just, that's, you know, my heart bleeds. I'm so sorry. Meanwhile, Trump goes to Montana and campaigns with Greg Gianforte, the guy who body slammed a reporter and pled guilty to assault as a result of it. Trump says, hey, that's kind of cool. And one of the young men in the crowd turns to Jim Acosta, the CNN reporter, and runs his... Uh, thumb across his neck like, you know, I'm going to behead you or slit your throat. So here we have Donald Trump cheering on the assault of reporters at the same time he's trying to cover up the murder of a reporter by the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. This is bizarre. The Republicans are secretly worried, Joan McCarter writing over on Daily Kos, Republicans secretly worried that the nation is on to their plan about tax cuts and social security. The RNC study, this is a study that they did actually in September, and Bloomberg just finally got a hold of a copy of it. They found that by two to one, 61% to 30%, Americans say that the tax law benefited large corporations and rich Americans over middle-class families, and that the RNC study says Americans worry the tax law will lead to cuts in Social Security and Medicare, concluding that most voters believe that the GOP wants to cut back on these programs in order to provide tax breaks for corporations and the wealthy. Yeah. So they're figuring it out. That, I think, is a good thing. So, And in our chat room, uh, Nigel just sent me a note, great posted in the YouTube chat room from Stephanie Simpson. If you think your vote doesn't matter, ask yourself why people are trying so aggressively to make sure that you don't vote. Excellent point. Bill in Sebastian, Florida, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Yeah, good morning, Tom. I was just talking to the supervisor at the Board of Elections down here in Brevard County, that's Central Florida. And uh, she informed me, I can't make hard enough hair of these uh, amendments that they have on the uh, ballot. So I called her, and uh, she informed me that they were all drawn up and written by 
uh, James Madison University. And uh, they're terribly uh, difficult to understand. And uh, as to the signatures, uh, they're checking the signatures on the mail-in ballots. On uh, You have two signatures, one on the ballot and one on the uh, envelope. And they're checking uh, those. You know, uh, right. they're putting them, they're checking them against your driver's license, I would suspect. No, they're, they're well, checking uh, them against the voter registration records. But the thing is that uh, in black communities, they check them very carefully. And in white communities, they just kind of routinely rubber stamp everything. Yeah. And if I might add, Tom, that last election, the lines in Melbourne, Florida, which is predominantly black or a large part of the community is, is minority. Hmm. Uh, the lines were just two and a half, three hours long. And uh, it seems to be set up that way. And they've closed yep. a few of the polling places as well. Yep. So uh, Plus Tallahassee got hit by a hurricane and they're not uh, in any hurry to, to, they're not going to extend the registration deadline and they're not in any hurry to help those people vote. It's obviously an extension on uh, Trump's attitude toward blacks in the Central Park Five. It's it's the theme. Yeah. It's the running theme throughout the the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. You know, wholly the, the Republican Party, and it's a, it's a shame and it's a disgrace to democracy. Yeah, yeah. Well said, Bill. And absolutely agree. Jordan in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Jordan, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. How are you? Good. What's up? I'm glad that early voting has started. Uh, mm -hmm. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how you think it's going so far. Well, a lot of people are showing up to vote. The question is how many of them are being given provisional ballots so that their vote won't be counted. Greg Powell shocked me. He said, you know, 14 million people have been thrown off the voting rolls in 26 wow. or 7 states just in the last year, just in the last 12 months. And that really happened? Yeah, that really happened. And and I I thought, you know, I said at the time 14 million. I think there's only roughly 140 million voters in this country. There's roughly 140 million taxpayers. Turns out there's 130 million voters. So that's more than 10% of all voters wow. were removed wow. from the voting rolls in the last year. This is the re the, the Republicans have concluded and, of course, Paul Weyrich told them this back in 1980, but it had been going on long before that. I keep pointing this out. This is how William Rehnquist, the former chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, earned his chops, was intimidating people at the voting polls in Native American communities in Phoenix back in the 60s, the late 50s and the early 60s. It wasn't and, election day, because it'll be much better, though. Well, wait, we'll see. But that's the thing, Jordan. If, if they have succeeded in their voter disenfranchisement and it doesn't get reported on, and, you know, it's entirely possible the Republicans are going to hold the House and the Senate, and nothing's going to happen. Jordan, thank you for the call. Tony in Los Angeles. Hey, Tony, what's up? Hi, Tom. I was just calling about uh, to tell you more about it. I'm going to send you some more information about what's called intergenerational trauma. Uh -huh. And when I listen to that uh, ad, even though, like you said, there were actors, but they're trying to resonate. Um, with those of us as people of color that have accepted, um, you know, defeat or whatever, or, or mm. been, because uh, you got to realize we've been here for 400 years. Next year will be 400 years. 1619 is when the first um, ancestors were brought here. Wow. Okay. And so when you look at 400 years of conditioning and, and being made to fear, that's what that intergenerational trauma is. So all the pathologies and everything that go with it that affects 
uh, people of color are still there. And what happens is, what to me that ad shows is some of what it said was true because Democrats have been complicit in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and up until the 1960s, you know, Democrats were were uh, at the forefront of racism in the South. Tony, thank you. BlindsGalore.com was the first place you could buy custom window treatments online. And because of that, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for over 20 years and have covered over 2 million windows and know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. They made it easy for Louise and me to go in and order. It was a breeze. It will be for you, too. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, you can exchange it for another covering for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know we sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. Terry in... Uh... Alachua. Alachua, thank you. What's up? Um, I just wanted to uh, clue you in on our lovely governor's race. The other side is running the most despicable ad against Andrew Gillum I have ever seen in my life, um, saying, well, um, Andrew Gillum is running for governor, and he's also running from the FBI. He's involved in an FBI criminal investigation for his illegal dealings with uh, lobbyists in New York and Costa Rica. And then at the end, he said, we don't need, uh, we don't need this ra- somebody this radical and this corrupt. All right. I mean, they are really scared. Now, Terry, my understanding is that there actually is an FBI investigation of uh, one of the political machines in Tallahassee, uh, which is the state capitol. Uh, and but that Andrew Gillum has nothing to do with this. He's not. He's not under investigation. He's not even, uh, you know, closely right. connected to the people who are under investigation. But the Republicans are taking this little grain of truth and turning it into a giant yes. lie, which is something that they're very, very good at. Yes, it's despicable, and uh, you know, maybe I, I hate to say this, Tom, but if he were white, would they be running that ad? I think so. I think they probably would. Although I guarantee you that they're they're making the most of the fact that he's black visually in those ads, and all probably I haven't oh, seen the ads, but but I'm guessing absolutely. that you know he's he, absolutely you know, here's this black face who is probably not smiling and probably you know in a in a setting that makes him look menacing you know, to, to freak out the old white voters down in, you know, the retired people in Miami and whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Terry, thanks for the update on that. The fact that Republicans are not just willing to lie in their advertising. I mean, they've been doing this forever, right? All the way back to the Koch brothers ads uh, with the, the speculum and the, and the rubber glove against Obamacare. Not just willing to lie, but enthusiastic about lying really gives me concern for our republic. Ricardo in Lacey, Washington. Hey, Ricardo, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, can you hear me? Just fine, yeah. What's up? Oh, good, thank you. Hey, sir, I'm going to try not to be all over the place. Uh, apologies if I do. Uh, but a uh, first-time caller, a uh, short-time listener, so I'm so sorry that I just barely... Oh, it's good, Ricardo. Here. What's on your mind? <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm just talking about... I just want to talk about the divide in this country and how just it saddens me, to be honest with you. Just a quick backstory for myself. Uh, I'm a indigenous Chamorro from the island of Guam. 
and uh, uh, born and raised there, and then a little bit of Northern California Bay Area, and then 15 years. So I'm a veteran, 15 years in the in the military, mm-hmm. three to, two to the to Iraq, one to Afghanistan, and oh. I, I I can't understand, sir, why we have this racial divide. How we've gone what 300 plus years with all the, the, you know the bad the bad history that we have. Why can't we push forward? And I'll give you some examples with, with even in the military. How uh, when we talk about PC, you know, they were, my 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 fellow senior Nakam officers would say, "Hey, they hated Obama," and they're like, "Hey, well, they went to Japan, right?" And and I don't remember what year this was, and he was visiting, and he bowed, and they were getting mad, like we don't bow to anyone. I, I told him, "Hey, it's it's a different culture, you know. You want to, you know, you're, you're you're being friendly to their culture." Yeah, it's the and, Japanese equivalent know, of shaking hands. Right, right, exactly. And and Tom, I don't understand it. It's like. We're not born racist. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a family function that's. that's I can tell you what's happening, and Ricardo. It's a possible community thing, you know. Ricardo, let me let, let me give you my theory on this, and you tell me if this comports with your experience. One of the things that we know about people when they get rich is that as they get richer, they get less and less compassion. They have less and less compassion. It actually alters. Totally agree. The, it actually alters the way people view the world and view other human beings, including even members of their own family. They become more yeah. self-centered and less compassionate. And that's with money riches, right? We, and we know this from, from, okay, dozens of studies over the years have shown this, right to the point of very rich people or people who are born rich very often grow up to be functionally yeah. sociopaths, unable to empathize with other people because of their wealth. I would submit to you, Ricardo, that given the history, the, the, the conquest, the racist conquest history yep. of white yep. people on this continent, and it's not unique to this continent, we could go you know, country by country all around the world on this, Correct. but, that, but that because white people put themselves at the top, they had the superior military technology when they came over here, plus they had an immunity to influenza, you know, which killed thousands, you know, millions of Native Americans, um, and yeah. and uh, because of that, white people put themselves on the top in the 1600s. And yeah. whiteness to this day is a form of wealth. And so white people having that you. privilege, which is just as much a form of wealth as being born with a million dollars in the bank, don't want to give it up, number one. Or I number see, two, may not even be aware of it, but just that like, you know, being rich is so corrosive to people in terms of empathy, being white is corrosive to people in terms of empathy without people even realizing it. Uh, you know, and obviously yeah, so, some do realize it and they're the, they end up being the people that, you know, the racists and the Proud Boys and all that <laughs> kind of crap. But does that make sense as an explanation? Yes, yeah, so two things real quick. Uh, one of them, sir, is, you know, I. You know, as a as a veteran, you know, I I I'm proud to serve to protect you, the people, not the flag and not the national anthem, the people. Yeah. All right. And you know, you should be proud if you are Irish American. You should be proud if you're Native American. You should be, I love the diversity of our country, Tom. I love it. Mm-hmm. But when you start saying that that my Chamorro ethnicity is stronger than yours, oh my God, what is this? Why do we have to be that way? Yeah. And then the second thing, sir, to finish off, because I, I know you want to get to, to some good callers. I see this as four things, sir, and, and I might be off in it a little bit. The way this country is run, unfortunately, and I, I wish it changes because we all have kids. I have a 10-year-old son, and I don't want him to deal with this, sir. I don't. I don't want anyone to deal with this. I love our diversity. But the way I see it is that runs this country, as, as, I, as I see it, racism, 
And that's everything from, you know, uh, 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 voter, voter suppression to all that, religious fanatics, because, you know, we're supposed to have, you know, uh, separation of church and state, but yet you could tell me not to have an abortion. So your religion is telling my body what to do. Right. right. Sexism, because we'll never get a, 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 a female president because we just males, as males, don't want anyone, don't want a female in charge of it. To my, my opinion, females should run this country. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that's I'm with thing. you. And then the rich, just with you, the rich. Yeah. Those four things, unless we somehow work through this to over, uh, to get to get over those um, significant markers, I, I just honestly don't see how we push forward. I think the way to, I think the way to do it, Ricardo, is to lift up, and this is what Lyndon Johnson started with the Great Society. He cut poverty in half in the United States in 10 years, and a lot mm -hmm. of that cutting of poverty was happening in minority communities. Um, if you view white privilege as wealth, if you view male privilege as right. wealth, as we bring up women, as we uh, as we bring up minorities, and say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make you as you know have as much wealth, whether it's the the kind of power wealth essentially that's associated with white privilege, or whether it's financial wealth, you know, they go hand in hand. Uh, as we bring as we bring these things up, things will get better. But you, the the pushback, what has happened is that the Republicans are basically messaging to basically white men. Um, but also some white women, um, because they're doing it about whiteness as well as about gender. But the, the main message to white men is that wealth that you have of your male privilege and your white privilege, these Democrats, particularly the Democrats of color, want to take that away from you. And they want to have their own privilege. They want to have, they want to have it so, and this is the, you know, the, the whole coded thing about quotas and, and uh, you know, that kind of stuff. The, the black people want to have it so that they have more privilege than white people have now. And you're going to end up on the ground with their foot on your throat. And, uh, and this is the sales pitch that has been used by, by racist and bigoted white people in politics geez, for, for 400 years since the initial invasions of this country. That is the cancer that's in our bloodstream right now that we need to excise. And, and, you know, you did a great job of identifying the pieces of it, Ricardo. Thanks a lot for the call and thanks for watching us on YouTube. There is so much work that we've got to do, but we start by identifying what's happening and calling this stuff out and waking people up to what's going on with it so that when they see these Republican racist ads, they go, oh, it's a racist ad. Jeff in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Hey, did, hey Jeff, what's on your mind? I was a blue-collar worker, and I, I listen to you a lot. And I think the question needs to be asked. I think you're very intelligent. What if the roles were reversed with politics, social programs, all these mean things that, whites are doing to blacks, what would happen and what do you think it would be like? I'm not racist if the roles were reversed and the minority whites were in the place of where the blacks are. Right. This is... How, the how, how do you think... Uh, this has been, Vic, your, your question is basically the sales pitch that racist whites have been making for hundreds of years is, 
you know, you've, uh, white people have to keep black people down and Hispanics and Asians and, and, you know, fill in the blank, or men have to keep women down because if they ever get power, they're going to seek revenge. They're going to extract their pound of flesh from us. And I'm not buying it. I, I'm just not buying it. I, and and uh, although there, you know, some people would be very justified in being upset, uh, but I, I, you know, I said this earlier and I'll say it again. I think it's a, a really important point. We know that, that as people get richer and richer in terms of money, they get less and less empathetic, right? There's all kinds of good social science and, and psychological studies on this to the point that when somebody like Trump is born rich and maintained their richness throughout their lives, they lose the ability to even experience empathy, to imagine what it must be like to be an immigrant child torn from their parents. I mean, he literally can't do that. He can't imagine how somebody else feels. Um, I would submit to you that whiteness is a form of wealth the same way, and that society is organized around that. That this, the, that our our culture, our so-called civilization, has that has been one of the organizing principles of it for 400 years on this continent, and that as a consequence of that, you've got white people who are like either a don't care, b don't know, or c are just at, you know not only indifferent but hostile to people of color or any any other kind of otherness. You know, you could say. You know, maleness is a form of wealth. You could say straightness is a, you know, as, a, as opposed to, to uh, LGBTQ, is a form of wealth. That all of these, that's why, that's why we call these things privilege, right? There's straight privilege, there's male privilege, there's white privilege. The, 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 the way to think of it is not if people of color or, uh, you know, uh, gender minorities or uh, women are given power that people like me, white men, are going to lose power, the way to think of it is that we're all going to have power together, right? We're gonna bring up everybody's wealth. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't require somebody to be you know, crushed or put down or you know, in a victim position. We don't have to organize our society that way. Yes, it's been organized that way for 400 years, but I would, I would argue that the process that Lyndon Johnson began the process that tried to start after Reconstruction but was aborted within six or eight years, that process was not one of, of tearing down the position of white people in society, but rather of bringing up the position of, of people of color. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Riduzone. If you struggle to lose weight, listen carefully. Riduzone works. I've never before endorsed a weight loss product, but I've seen the result firsthand with my brilliant wife, Louise, who, like so many, has had her share of diet frustrations. Losing weight is hard, right? Louise heard about Riduzone. She did her homework, learned it's FDA accepted, and that it helps us lose weight in a revolutionary way. Riduzone comes out of university research that discovered a molecule that helps regulate appetite. When it's out of whack, we're always hungry and crave foods we shouldn't eat. And good luck losing weight when you're already starving on day one. Louise tried Riduzone. She looks amazing. And I've never, never seen her this excited about a weight loss product. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Riduzone. Go to tryriduzone.com and use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive up to 65% off on your order and free shipping. That's tryriduzone.com, promo code TOM. 
So let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and loving what you do. Ellen Ratner's new book on the line with us is Luke Vargas, the chief foreign correspondent for Talk Media News from the United Nations in New York. You can follow him on Twitter at The Courier. Luke, uh, Pope Francis thinking about going to North Korea? He is. And the experts I've talked to think this is actually likely to happen, that you are seeing kind of a uh, reorientation of Pope Francis's geographic priorities over the last few months. I don't know if you ended up covering this uh, at the end of last month, late September, but the Pope I, I went not. to China. Uh, he made a big controversial deal with the Chinese government, who for decades, a little bit like they have their own Panchen Lama, right? They have basically been appointing, you know, state-backed Catholic bishops to a state-backed Catholic church, which the Vatican had always considered to be in schism, right? Not part of the official Catholic uh, family. And uh, Pope Francis went to China. He recognized those state-appointed bishops and said, look, I understand this is going to cause some suffering to people who consider themselves true Catholics who follow the Vatican. This is going to look like a negative compromise, but it was part of sort of a deal that has been explained to me as, you know, in the hopes of uh, causing the Chinese government to respect Catholics in China more in the long run by doing that. And right. I think there's a possibility to see some mirroring of, of how that would go in North Korea. Of course, the, the North Korea doesn't allow their population to openly practice religions, but there is a Catholic church in Pyongyang, where a lot of diplomats and other people go, and, and the thinking uh, on the Vatican side is that, look, yes, it, this is a, a way for Kim Jong-un to bolster his regime, to be seen as extra legitimate, but we're not President Trump. We're not bound by the same sort of political calculations. This is about you know evangelization of a new part of the world where Catholicism hasn't flourished. And let's also note that there have been papal trips in the past where there were concerns it was going to play into the hands of a government. Think back just three years ago, Pope Francis goes to Cuba. He wasn't terribly outspoken against the the regime there, but he did talk about uh, the desire for people to have greater freedom. He said Cuba should open itself up to the world. That was seen as sort of subtly advancing political priorities and then dial back the clock to the early 1980s, Pope John Paul II goes to Nicaragua under the Sandinista government. The Sandinistas were really excited for Francis, or rather uh, Pope John Paul, to go there. They thought he would basically condemn American support for the Contras, and instead the Pope unleashes on the Sandinistas for their human rights abuses. So there's sort of an interesting history here of popes sort of having the freedom to be able to defy expectations. Let's let's see if this visit happens. It would certainly be a very interesting one. That would be fascinating. Meanwhile, you've got these uh, uh, people from Guatemala, mostly uh, families. It's, uh, you know, I've seen the pictures, a lot of kids, uh, people fleeing. I mean, you know, Guatemala and Honduras have both had military coups. Uh, El Salvador, yep. you know, has been run by death squads. And all this goes back to Reagan. I mean, he's the one who ripped this area apart. I don't know why we as a country are not helping put, you know, these countries put themselves back together. Uh, instead, when their people flee, and the, uh, more than a half million people have fled Guatemala just in the last year, when their people flee, uh, you know, uh, uh, Trump freaks out. Or, or actually, he's, he's loving it, I think. Oh, you know, there's 3,000 you know, Guatemalans heading for the United States through Mexico. And, of course, they're traveling together because the, that's how you avoid being kidnapped or murdered by, by Mexican criminal elements who, who prey on lone travelers who are trying to make it to, to North America. So what's Mexico likely to do about this? Yeah, well, I think you're right to diagnose sort of the hypocrisy of, of the government response here. I mean, on one hand, when this caravan sets off earlier this week, the president is threatening to nix 
uh, aid to Honduras, which is predominantly directed towards anti-crime, you know, helping the uh, judicial institutions, which are seen as the weak points of that society, which cause people to need to leave in the first place. So that would seem self-defeating. He doesn't look like he's going to cancel that aid, but it's a it's a very sort of uh, odd instinct that he has. And then you're right again about people traveling in groups. I mean, we are basically trying to uh, we are advancing a narrative, at least at the U.S. government, uh, that we are trying to dissuade illegal immigration because it's unsafe. Right. And it allows uh, you know, smugglers or human smugglers to profit. So here these people are uh, banding together and going through official asylum channels to stay safe. And yet we're also condemning them for doing that. Right. And you're right. Fox News seizes on this, talks about illegals trying to breach the border, which is not at all a part of their plans. But it looks like in this case, Mexico is going to react differently than they did in April. The big difference there is that they've now got that NAFTA deal, right? And the relationship with Trump has been patched over a little bit, uh, unlike in April when Mexico gave the caravan, the first caravan that left a bunch of transit permits, which allowed these people to go across Mexico. The Mexican government here at the Guatemalan border is basically stopping people. They're saying, if you don't have transit papers to come through Mexico, and if you are not going to apply for asylum in Mexico, then we're going to have to turn you back. Um, and they have asked, I think, and this is responsible policy, they've asked the United Nations Refugee Agency to come to the border there and help process these claims rapidly. And it's true, the, the Mexico is not safe everywhere, but it is becoming more and more a place that is recognized as safe, at least in parts, as a place for people fleeing violence in the Northern Triangle of Central America to go. So I think Mexico has changed its tune here. They want to preserve the slightly improved relationship with the United States. Real quick, Luke, do you think that that's going to change when AMLO becomes president in a couple of months, in a month, in two months? I don't know. I think there are a lot of signs that there's continuity in this government. And the current government is in many ways coordinating with the incoming one to preserve the U.S. relationship in the long haul. That's good. That's very good. Luke Vargas with Talk Media News. You can follow him on Twitter at The Courier. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Tom. Jeff in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Hey, hey Jeff, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Uh, I was watching Morning Joe this morning, and uh, Schumer and uh, Tom Perez were on and talked about what a great gift this was that uh, Mitch McConnell had given the Democratic Party. I'm very afraid that uh, a lot of seniors and stuff are not getting that word, because I believe that the media tamped that down pretty quickly after Mitch McConnell had made those statements about Social Security and Medicare. And I also want people to know that not only are they going to come after Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, they're coming after railroad retirement, railroad disability. In the state houses like Iowa has, they're going to come after uh, the, it's called IPERS, yeah. which is the workers' retirement and savings program that they've paid into for years. And that covers all state workers, a lot of county workers. Yeah, they're going after teachers, too. And our teachers. Yep, yep. You're absolutely right, Jeff. And, you know, this is nothing new, by the way. The Republicans have have been singing this song since 1936. And the media just loves to look the other way, I, you know, but the, I think I think the American people, I, I, I get it that there's probably a lot of seniors who, who don't know about this, number one. But number two, it's not just a senior issue. 
uh, one third of the money that the Social Security pays out goes to disabled people who are not yet 65 years old. Many of them are, are children, they're teenagers, they're people in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s. You have a multi-million dollar lifetime disaster insurance policy called Social Security. If you break your neck like my friend Michael Hutchison did and end up uh, paralyzed the, from the neck down for the rest of your life, like Michael, like what happened to Michael, Social Security disability pays your way, right? And Medicare pays your expenses, your, your health insurance and expenses and things. And, and, you know, the Republicans want to do away with all this stuff. They want to take us back to Dickens, England. So, yes, yeah, spot on, Jeff. And, and this is something that we need to be waking up to and need to be very clear about. The Republicans are starting to freak out about it because they just got a survey back. There's a good piece about this over at Daily Kos. They just, they actually, or it was, I guess it was a month or so ago, they did some polling and found that the American people have figured out that the whole tax cut scam was a scam just for the billionaires and, and the big corporations, and that the debt that it created, the deficit that it created, both, uh, it's going to be a $6 trillion debt. Uh, this year, it's a $1 trillion deficit. That, that that's going to be used as an excuse to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. People have, are figuring this out. Mitch McConnell goes on TV and says it, uh, you know, and it gets a little bit of play, but, uh, you know, hey, it shouldn't be a surprise. Kim in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Kim, what's up? Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about the, the new UN climate mm -hmm. report, about yeah. how we basically have 10 years. Yeah. have to do anything about climate change. I am a, a registered dietitian. I work with a specialty population and I tell them to eat a lot of meat. Well, this has really been bothering me. Mm. And so one of the things that we can do as, you know, and in fact as protest, and we can do it immediately, we can do it today, mm. is we can decrease the amount of animal protein that we eat. Yep. And that will help CO2 emissions, that will help our health, that will help our pocketbooks, and it's also a form of protest. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you do. And I, you know, and I do realize that there is food insecurity in the country in different pockets. But I think, aside from that, we can control what we eat. We can, you know, and we can protest by what we eat. And so I just wanted to give your listeners a little bit of guidance mm -hmm. on how to do that, because all it, all we're told is like decrease your meat or whatever. So. Beef and lamb have the biggest carbon footprints. Right. Basically, if we can all reduce our animal protein intake to two servings a week. Yeah, I became a vegetarian when I was 16, but I always ate dairy. Five, six years ago, we pretty much stopped eating dairy other than maybe a little bit of something that shows up on a plate in a restaurant. And starting maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago when we moved to Portland, Louise and I started eating fish once a month. And so I'm basically a vegan who eats fish once a month. And, and, and I feel great. And getting rid of the dairy products was just, it really made a difference, in my opinion, for my own health and my blood pressure and everything else. So it's like there's good health consequences to this. And, and there's all kinds of great fruits and vegetables out there and things you can eat. And the less processed food, the better. Processed food has a high carbon footprint, and it also causes cancer. Kim, thank you for the call. Very well said. You're listening to Tom Hartman. On the line with us, Dr. Joe Rahm. Joe is the physicist. He's a climate expert. He's a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. He's the founding editor of climateprogress.org. He's the author of the new book, How to Go Viral and Reach Millions. His previous book, Climate Change, What Everyone Needs to Know. 
climateprogress.org, the website. You can uh, tweet him at Climate Progress. Joe, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. Or I should, I should uh, respectfully say Dr. Rahm. You have uh, certainly earned that title. You wrote a piece uh, a couple of days ago or a couple of weeks ago that uh, suggests that we may be nearing, uh, I believe this was your phrase, a climate death spiral. If I have that right, what, what do you mean? Well, uh, there was an article that came out by 16 leading climate scientists, which basically said there are certain changes in the environment that are irreversible, and if you get to a certain point, they could be unstoppable. And it's like an avalanche. You know, once you start the avalanche, it's just going to keep going and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you want to avoid that point. And so this article basically tried to look at what are the so-called you know, amplifying feedbacks, the vicious circles that, that if you start uh, pushing them, they actually release more greenhouse gas emissions that then create more warming um, and so on. And, and uh, what they basically said is, you know, if we hit this threshold that, that the nations of the world said in Paris in 2015, we, we must avoid, you know, two degrees Celsius warming, which is 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. If we hit those, uh, if we hit that point, then we may trigger changes that actually take us to warming, which could be five degrees C or, or nine degrees Fahrenheit. And that, of course, would be just catastrophic. Define catastrophic. Well, uh, I think when you're talking that much warming, when you're talking, let's say, 9 degrees Fahrenheit global warming, you're now talking about moving to a world where uh, the oceans are flooding, you know, all of our coastal cities. We're talking about several feet, you know, uh, four, five, six feet of sea level rise this century. And but it doesn't stop. It would keep rising a foot a decade. So on the coastal front, it's, you know, uh, a catastrophe. But inland, uh, in areas that are semi-arid, semi-arid like uh, you know California and in parts of our breadbasket, you're talking about moving to a purely arid, very dry climate where the natural climate is, in fact, uh, a drought. In fact, you don't call it. Of course, if if your natural climate is a drought, you don't say you're in a drought. You just become a desert. Right. Uh, you know that's what we mean by climate change. People have been noticing already. I think that droughts have been getting longer and longer. Certainly, if you're on the West Coast, you notice how many long, extreme droughts we've had in the past decade or two. Uh, eventually, you just change the climate so that it's always a drought and, and you get a spolification. So the, the great risk is that some of these impacts start, start and they compound and they accelerate, and that is, is the climate death spiral. So to, to, to what extent right now, what we're experiencing right now where we're seeing these massive droughts on the West Coast combined with terrible floods on the East Coast, uh, to what extent is that the consequence of the planet warming versus the effect of the planet warming being to diminish the temperature gradient between the Arctic and the, and the mid-latitudes, which reduces the strength, the, the rigidity or the resilience of the jet stream, uh, you know, this river of, of air, cold air flowing around the Arctic, 
so that it starts drooling down over you know land masses like North America and doesn't move the way it was moving when you and I were kids. And and uh, as a result, what would have been you know three days of hot weather followed by three days of rain followed by three days of hot weather as the weather systems would move through is now three weeks of hot weather. And, you know, it may not be any hotter than it was before or just slightly hotter than it was before, but because of its persistence, it's so, or, or extremely rainy weather for that matter, because of its persistence, it's so destructive. Well, that's a very good point, Tom. So there are two effects going on. So we have a gradual warming, and that warming shifts the, the, if you can envision in your mind, a bell curve where the tail at the far right is the extremes. If you just shift that, that tail, the part that used to be, you know, a once in a hundred year or once in a thousand year storm might become once every decade. So uh, you purely directly from global warming are going to see many more extreme events. And you've raised the second point, which is if we, if we change the climate in unusual ways, then there are going to be un- unexpected impacts. And one of those impacts is the weakening of the jet stream that you described. And it is certainly the case that there have been many studies in the past decade that have said, yes, you reduce the, te- the jet stream uh, that's, that pushes the weather all quickly in, you know, in, in the United States from west to east, that that strength is fueled by the temperature difference between the the arctic and and the tropics the gulf of mexico and and the tropical oceans um the it is a well-known uh effect of climate change that as you uh warm up the planet the arctic warms twice as fast and because the arctic warms twice as fast uh you the temperature gradient uh does drop and you get a weaker jet stream so Clearly, that has been happening. That, you know, when you talk about record rainfalls, obviously Hurricane Harvey, Houston, last year, what, a, what was described as a once in 25,000 year rain event, where basically a hurricane came on shore and kind of just sat there for like three days. And, and the deluge was terrible. And in the case of, of, of droughts and wildfires, I mean, we're seeing out west, again, we're seeing static, frozen, very slowly changing weather patterns where it's just 100-degree day after 100-degree day. And so you get the compounding of uh, one of the things that happens when you get an extended heat wave is that the heat dries up all the land. Uh, and once you dry up all the land, then all of the heat just goes into heating up the land and, and making the kindling, you know, hotter. And, uh, and that's what we have. And that's why we're seeing these record-smashing dra- uh, wildfires associated with the droughts uh, and the heat waves. So, yes, we're, we're seeing, you know, what are sometimes called nonlinear effects, where you get a quantum change in the system from one state to another, uh, you know, different state. And one of the points of this article that I wrote about uh, on climate progress is that the, the current state that we're in is not necessarily a stable state. And if you push it a little too hard, it'll be like, you know, you push a rock down the, the, the cliff and it hits other rocks and you get the avalanche. And so we, we have to fight as hard as possible 
to avoid, you know, getting to that point of no return. And, you know, no one can tell you exactly what it is, obviously, because we're doing this one-shot experiment on the planet. But it is critical, you know, that if you look at the science, it's clear that we are getting closer and closer to that point. And, and that's why it's so important that we, you know, elect people who are going to push back against Donald Trump and his, his wanton and reckless inaction on climate change. Right. Uh, let's talk about messaging for a minute in the, in the minute and a half or two minutes we have left. Um, back, geez, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that, maybe even a little longer, I was in a meeting with a bunch of uh, Democratic senators and members of the House of Representatives, along with several other progressive talk show hosts, and one of us raised the issue of the uh, vulnerability of our voting systems and our, our election machines. And one of the Democratic senators said to our group, and this kind of shut down the conversation, uh, that we're, the Democratic Party is not willing to talk about this out loud because we're concerned that, because A, we're not certain that it's that big a problem yet, and B, uh, even if it is, we're afraid that it'll cause people to be discouraged and not come to vote. I'm seeing something that seems like the climate change equivalent of that. Let's not scare the chickens, right? Let's not have a conversation about what the real extremes could be or where this might go. How do we message this in a way that doesn't you know, cause 10-year-olds to break down in tears and yet at the same time uh, communicates how grave the situation has already become and, and certainly how grave it has the potential to become? Well, one of the points that I make in the book, How to Go Viral and Reach Millions, is, look, we need to be honest. We're the, you know, there's enough disinformation out there. If we don't tell the accurate information, nobody will. So that's point one. But point two is you have to know how to do effective communications. And then I try in, in the book uh, to explain you know, what it means to be effective communicators. Now, you know, look, in the case of climate change, we're not saying the problem is past the point of no return and it can't be solved. We're just saying we're getting closer and closer. The solutions are here. I mean, as you know, from my writing, from Climate Progress and my books, um, you know, the clean energy, and you've reported on the clean energy revolution, it is here. We have the solutions at hand. Right. It is quite literally politics and politicians and the oil industry and, and the, you know, the conservative Republicans who they back who have been blocking action. So I think the message, the message of, you know, how to go viral and reach millions is quite simple. Um, we are getting close to the point of no return, but there is time to act. And what's more, the sooner we act, the, 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 the fewer the impacts will be and, and the slower they will occur. That's the other point. Action aggressively in the near future means that whatever impacts we get occur at a slower rate and we have more time to deal with it. Yeah, that's that's really important stuff. And these these are the messages that need to be. And I mean, there's even now decarbonizing technologies out there. Uh, we, we saw some of this in Europe that uh, are very promising. Dr. Joe Rahm, physicist, climate expert, senior fellow at American Progress, uh, founder of ClimateProgress.org. His most recent book, How to Go Viral and Reach Millions. Before that, climate change, what everyone needs to know. You can tweet him at Climate Progress. Joe, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's always great talking. To you. Thank you so much. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Superbeats by Human N 
has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of Human N is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of Super Beets daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real. We're talking healthy, natural energy. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Super Beets and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the 1 plus 1 equals boom effect of Super Beets. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. Cliff in Canyon Country, California. Hey, Cliff, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? I agree with Kim, the earlier caller, about the meat consumption. I stopped eating animals almost 20 years ago, and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made, and I certainly encourage everyone to consider it. Yeah, you feel better. You don't, you know, you don't struggle so much with weight. Meat is really uh, it's dense food. Yeah. Spot well, on. But that's all the, all the other reasons, the moral reasons, the environmental reasons. I mean, yeah. just there's so many great reasons not to eat animals. Anyways, um, isn't it really disturbing to see how the media and a lot of politicians have normalized the sociopaths in the White House? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, they've even normalized his hair, Tom. Yeah. 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 He although, wears an animal pelt on their head. Yeah. Yeah, no, actually, you know, what we now know is that he's actually completely bald on the top, and he's got this giant comb over going forward. And when Louise walked right up to him at the at the uh, uh, correspondence dinner, the White House Correspondence Center in D.C. back, what, four or five years ago, it was the one where Donald Trump uh, sat there while Barack Obama just, you know, peeled the bark off him, made fun of him. Um, you know, Louise walked right up to him and got a good close look, and she said on the front, it, it looks like bad plugs. So, you know, it's it's kind of sad, but, you know, I, that's if that's what we're going to uh, go after Trump for, then we've got a problem. I, you know, I, I want to go after his racism. I want to go after his xenophobia. I want to go after his his love and embrace of, of wealth and rich people and corporations. And but in any case, I, I think you called about weapons, Cliff. Yeah, well, I guess it started with some early humans getting mad at each other. Right. And picking up a stick or a rock and throwing at one another. So, you know, fast forward a couple hundred thousand years, and our planet is just littered with weapons from, you know, brass knuckles to nuclear warheads. You know, little kids get toy guns and cap guns and squirt guns, and, you know, the, these politicians sell billions of dollars worth of weapons of death to Saudi Arabia. And countries all over the world buy and stockpile weapons of death to use against their enemies. I and mean, we are I, the I'm largest provider to the world of weapons, by the way. Yes, of course we are. I'm just wondering if this this evolution had to play out this way, you know, because I know there's cultures, uh, Native American cultures, where they, they play games where the object of the game is to end in a tie. Or the object of the game is to settle a dispute. That's how lacrosse evolved, was a way, a, a way of settling disputes among tribes uh, or, or clans or communities that uh, didn't involve bloodshed. Yeah, and it wasn't the most important thing is to, to win or loser. It was to you know to participate, to play the game. Yeah. But there are there are cultures where the actual the object of the game is to end in a tie, you know, mm -hmm. equality, which yeah. I thought was pretty. Uh, yeah, that was when I was when I was uh, working in Australia. There was a uh, uh, this uh, white teacher in a Aboriginal school who told me the story of how baffled all the white teachers were that the Aboriginal kids, spontaneously, they taught them basketball, 
and the Aboriginal kids would play until both teams had the same score, and that's when they figured the game was over. And the, the white teachers were just like, whoa, where did this come from? And it's, it's the Aboriginal culture, you know, it's the indigenous culture. So, uh, Cliff, thanks for the call, spot on. Ellis in Kona, Hawaii, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Oh, wonderful. I have a comment that follows on with some of the other people that has to do with this inability, if I may paraphrase, to feel compassion inside oneself. Right. It's my thesis, and I'm looking for someone to help me write this up. I've got a quarter of a book already, that there was a mutation back in Middle Asia, Middle Eurasia someplace, that created fear in the heart because they were unable to feel spirit, unable to feel connected to the land, unable to feel connected to each other, and therefore unable to feel empathy and compassion. And this became the conquering gene, <clears throat> excuse me, that crossed the world. Hmm. <coughs> and that it um, is most prevalent in the conquering across Europe, but that, and that it shows up in two forms now the dominant aggressive gene and the recessive aggressive gene. The recessive is when we get damaged, we wounded, um, um, trauma somehow, we lose the ability to feel compassion and then we become angry and we start lashing out and we can see it's a form of PTSD. Right. We can look at Trump and see his PTSD, how his father, I've heard stories, I know someone who knows Coke, the stories of how Coke's father treated him and then what happens is that it becomes this damaged need, unable to feel um, not only empathy, but also that there's enough, unable to be aware of the abundance that's in the universe. And so it is the root behind all the seven sins, uh, the deadly sins. It's under greed. It's, under, right. it's always about not enough, trying to fill this empty hole deep inside, and that... And we can see this, how we can change, because of how we've seen, um, for example, young men leave the alt-right movement who have been open to compassion. But see, that others. argues that it's not genetic, that it's cultural. I think it's both. I think the culture triggers the recessive form of this gene that cannot feel God. This is why we have um, um, atheists. Well, don't you, don't you think that that's just like, you know, a component of human nature that, that, you know, we all have the capacity to be to be compassionate. We all have the capacity to be violent. We all have, you know, that that spectrum of behaviors available to us. And the way that we are brought up and the culture in which we're brought up is going to, you know, bring one or the other to the fore. I would say that there has been generally enough blood mixing that that is generally true. But if you look at certain tribes, you will find that this thing about killing doesn't happen until there's wounding in a family line. Hmm. Um, there's a fascinating book that looks at how spirits... Um, now, I happen to believe that um, the evidence that Christ's um, discourses on reincarnation were taken out of the Bible about 150 years after they were put in, so about 550 Yeah, AD. look at the Book of Thomas. <clears throat> so, yeah. So the spirit also carries wounding or not wounding. So we have three things, not just two. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I don't know. I find it a fascinating conversation, Ellis, and I need to ponder this. In fact, I want to make some notes after I get off the air to myself about this. Ellis, thanks for your contribution to the conversation.
I can't say yes, no, I just don't know. What I do know is that despair is not an option and that we all need to get active. And there's great organizations out there. Somebody was on my Twitter feed saying, hey, would you like to phone bank for Beto O'Rourke, for example? You know, I mean, there's so many opportunities to participate. So please get out there, get active, tag, you're in. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.